That's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 to 24. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Uh, Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it, uh, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now, our subject for this morning um, is God's call. Uh, God's call. Um, A number of years ago, I was involved in a student ministry and we were teaching Mark's gospel in our campus ministry small groups. Uh, There's one particular student who was keen and who had carved out a little following amongst the other students. He's also generally a bit restless. And then we got to Mark chapter 1 and verse 17. I've printed it on your handouts. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. It was an explosive study. Uh, The student in question seized on this verse. Surely, he said, our discipleship ought to be at least as radical as this. Jesus calls us to follow him, uh, just as he called Simon and Andrew. We claim to follow him, to have responded to his call. And so surely we need to leave our nets. I should quit school next week. I should abandon my career. Um, I should spend all my time fishing for people. We should all become itinerant evangelists. And anything less than that is a sign that I am failing to take the call of Jesus sufficiently seriously. Actually, it's hardly a unique perspective, is it? And from desert fathers to monastic orders to Anabaptist communes, to the vague sense that anyone who doesn't do the associate scheme isn't really serious about their walk with the Lord, Christians have often been drawn to thinking this way. And as you can imagine, it was quite unsettling. It's unsettling, actually, for the little gaggle of students who surrounded this guy. And they were tempted to think that my failure to agree with him was a sign that I was completely sold out to the establishment. Actually, it was unsettling for him as well because he didn't drop out of school the next week. On the contrary, he was one of the most hardworking and ambitious students I knew. Did that mean that he was failing to take the call of Jesus seriously in his life? Well, I wonder, what would you say to him if you were me? More to the point, what do you think God would say to him if God were there? Is he right? Is the fact that we're here this morning, for the most part, with jobs and families and homes to go back to and degrees underway, is that a sign that we're just not taking Jesus seriously enough? 
Uh, We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verses 17 to 24. It's a paragraph all about the call of God and its implication for precisely these sorts of questions. Actually, it's the theological heart of this chapter. Uh, Last week, we were addressing the question, is the call to the fellowship of Jesus Christ a call out of the marriage relationship? And here, in this paragraph, uh, we are still addressing that question. But Paul widens it out uh, to discuss slavery and circumcision, and by implication, all of our social relationships. Uh, What does Paul say? to my friend's outburst. Well, two points this morning. First of all, we have been called by God. Uh, We have been called by God. Verse 17, only let each person lead the life, Uh, only let each person walk as the Lord has assigned and as God called. Actually, the language of calling, it runs right through the paragraph. It's there in verse 18, the time of his call, and again, the time of his call, It's there in verse 20, remain in the calling um, in which he was called. Uh, Verse 21, when called. Verse 22, he who was called in the Lord. And again, he who was free when called. Verse 24, as each was called. Nine times in eight verses. This is a paragraph all about the call. Uh, Which call? Some Christians have suggested that this paragraph teaches a doctrine of vocation, that Paul is teaching that God has called us into our various social stations and careers, and that we should therefore seek to honour God by heeding his call to be a Christian doctor, or missionary, or nurse, or teacher, or whatever it is that we have been called to. Uh, And then, of course, it becomes crucial that you can discern your call and work out what you're called to. And there are all sorts of websites and surveys that you can take to find out. Um, Actually, the way that the ESV has translated verse 17 really does make it sound like that's what Paul's saying. And he let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him, they've put it. And the trouble is that that is almost exactly not uh, what Paul is saying. And it is true that we have different social positions, and it's true that in his providence, the Lord can be said to have assigned them, just by virtue of the fact that he called you to belong to him in a position. But when Paul talks about the call of God in these verses, he means the call, uh, the call with which Paul began the letter, and the call that we've been thinking about the whole way through this meeting, the call into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. And so let me remind you how the letter began. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2, Paul writes, To the church of God, that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26, Consider your calling, brothers. God chose what is foolish, weak, low despised. In other words, he called, he chose you. And here is the theologian Karl Barthes. A Christian is not called to be circumcised or uncircumcised, free or slave. You can extend the point. A Christian is not called to be a doctor or an engineer, a missionary or a teacher. 
A Christian is called to be a saint, to belong to the fellowship of Jesus Christ. The call that Paul's talking about here is the gospel call. And that is extraordinary because we have been called by God. It is a personal call. Paul's not talking about a general status of calledness that you opt into when you choose of your own free will to decide to become a Christian. No, he is talking about what happens to each one of us individually as we came to Christ. Underneath that, what was really happening was that the sovereign God was calling us. Why are you a Christian here this morning, if you are? Why is this group of people gathered here together? Because God has summoned us to belong to Jesus Christ. Just as Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldeans, just as Simon and Andrew were called to drop their nets, we have been summoned, we have been called to belong to Jesus. And so my student friend was right. As he talked about leaving nets and abandoning career and quitting studies and leaving home to answer the call of Jesus, it might be tempting to say to him, now steady on, that is a bit radical. A previous generation would have called him an enthusiast and a fanatic. But of course there is nothing wrong with being enthusiastic about Jesus. He was absolutely right to think that something radical had happened. In fact, you could argue, um, I would argue, um, that one perspective on the whole purpose of this letter to the Corinthians is to get the Corinthians to take their calling more seriously. And they are tempted to think that all that happened when they became Christian was that Paul and Apollos and these new celebrity speakers giving their TED Talks turned up and that they found them vaguely amusing and thought that they would gather around them. And they joined the fan club for the latest stand-ups. And Paul wants to say to them, no, don't you understand what you really heard um, as I preach the message of the cross? What you really heard um, was the voice of God in the power of the Spirit summoning you into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. What you heard made you a partner, a shareholder in his resurrection, so that as you heard, you became a member of a whole new world. Don't you understand that that call has made you anew, that you are the work, the temple of the living God? You just cannot overstate how big a deal this is. You can't be too radical about it. It is wonderful and it is earth-shaking and it changes absolutely everything forever. We have been called by God. But what about our nets? Is it right to think that taking that call seriously means dropping everything else? Studies, career, status, family. Well, secondly, you don't need to change your social status. Uh, Paul spells out the principle three times at the beginning, uh, the middle, and the end of this paragraph. First of all, the beginning, verse 17. Only let each person walk as the Lord has assigned and as God called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. And then the end, verse 24. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, 
There let him remain with God. Um, It might be helpful to supply the missing step in Paul's argument. Um, Step one, our first point, God has called you. Step two, he called you without reference to your social position or status. And therefore, step three, you don't need to change. And as we'll see in a minute, uh, Paul certainly isn't saying that you can't change. But he is saying that the fact that our social status had no impact on whether or not the call of the gospel was effective amongst us means that there is no gospel imperative. There is no theological imperative uh, to change our circumstances. Paul gives two examples. Uh, First of all, circumcision, um, verse 18. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Uh, Let me clear up one muddle straight away. I imagine that at least some people, and I know this because one of them spoke to me in the week, some people in the room are wondering how you could possibly reverse circumcision. Uh, Well, I'm not very interested in the details, and I haven't done much research, but apparently there was an operation. So there you go. Um, I didn't think I needed to do much research, uh, because Paul's whole point is that you don't need that operation. Um, And the reason is that the call of God has rendered the divide between circumcision and uncircumcision irrelevant. It just doesn't matter. What matters is keeping God's commandments, verse 19. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. And his summons to believe the gospel And in the immediate context, surely, um, surely his commandments to flee sexual immorality. Actually, that towers over the chapter, doesn't it? Relationship status does not matter, but sexual purity does. The reason that circumcision and uncircumcision don't matter is that they were of no consequence in determining who God called. The call of the gospel was not uniquely effective in summoning the circumcised. It was not uniquely effective in summoning the uncircumcised. Getting circumcised doesn't increase the chance that you'll believe the gospel when you hear it, and neither does it reduce it. It doesn't matter. You didn't have to get circumcised or uncircumcised to hear the call of the gospel, and so you don't have to change your circumcision status now. Verse 20 each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. You don't need to change your social status. Uh, The second example is slavery, verse 21. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Do not be concerned about it. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord's. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was when called, there let him remain with God. And this example is slightly different 
because Paul makes it clear that as a matter of fact, he is pro-freedom. Do you see that in verse 21b, the bit in brackets? If you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. You see, he isn't quite saying, just stay as you are, is he? God has assigned you your station, aristocrats to rule, serfs to serve, and you just need to live with it. Now, there is plenty of scope for social mobility um, as it becomes an option. If you can gain your freedom, he says, take it. And this is helpful. When Paul says remain as you are, he's not saying you can't change your job or your career or even your country. And time may come when that's a good thing to do. But it is babyish to think that getting going as a Christian means that you have to. And so the big point of this paragraph, this example is the same. Um, Although you can change your social status, you don't need to. Verse 21, were you a slave when called? Don't be concerned about it. It's a great little sentence, that, isn't it? It's very realistic. Don't let it trouble you. Uh, You might not be able to change your circumstances. If you're a slave, you probably can't. But you don't need to be distressed by that. Because so far as God is concerned, whether or not you are a slave or free is of no consequence. In fact, more than that, verse 23, uh, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Um, If you start living as though it's a matter of ultimate consequence, whether you are slave or free, you're making yourself a slave of men. And their judgment defines you. They decide what you really are. And that is not right, because whatever you are, you now belong to Jesus. Verse 22. He who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. And so, verse 24, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. You've already been called by God, so you don't need to change your social status. Not you mustn't, not you can't, not you shouldn't, but you don't need to change your social status. And in fact, the default is that you won't. In whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now, it's crucial that we see why Paul is saying this. It isn't because changes of social order would be a bit too radical. I've become a Christian, so I need to leave my marriage, one says. I've become a Christian, so I need to quit my jobs, another. And Paul says, whoa, steady on, that's a bit much. You've become a Christian, but it's no reason to turn your life upside down. Actually, Paul is more or less making the opposite point here. God's call has thundered through all the nonsense of our social distinctions. If the church in Corinth was at all representative of that city, then one third of the people who first heard this letter would have been slaves. And so with slaves down there and with their masters at the back and with aristocrats over there, perhaps, and the people who farmed their land down here, married and single, rich and poor, English and Chinese, or probably not in Corinth, but here this morning, 
circumcised and uncircumcised. The thing that really matters, the real game changer, the call of God, that has already happened. You don't need to overturn the social order because God already has. Just look around. If you get the opportunity to improve your circumstances, by all means, take it. But for your benefit, certainly not God's and not for the sake of your salvation. It's so important that we get this. And we're so quick to think that our social circumstances really matter. It's more or less how we introduce ourselves, isn't it? I'm Gwilym. What do you do? Um, And then whatever you say next defines you. Um, And the world around us loves to define people this way, uh, by career, um, or by hobby, or or by race, or by uh, critical race theory, um, or by class, or by an inverted class snobbery. And it can so easily seep into the church. Um, I grew up living near a church um, that still had a locked pew um, that was reserved for the local squire and his family um, and that you weren't allowed to go into. Do you know, one of the bigger churches in Singapore has a special row um, that is uh, reserved for celebrities and politicians and for major donors. And then you can begin to think that those things really matter. And you can begin to think that they would really help you. You can begin to think that you would really get going as a Christian. That you'd really be able to honour God. If only you could change your job. If only you could get out of your flat share. If only you could move out of the city. If only you could quit your marriage. And to all of that, Paul says, don't you realise who you are? You were bought with a price. You were called by God. Don't be slaves of men. Max Lucado's written a set of children's books about these characters that are wooden toys um, that he calls the Wemmicks. Um, and these Wemmicks, these wooden toys, um, they go around sticking stickers um, on each other um, to indicate their approval um, or their disapproval. Uh, the main character is called Punchinello. Um, And he um, really lets it get to him. Uh, The stickers that he gets, um, uh, mostly in his case disapproving, um, they define him. Until one day he's introduced to Eli, um, his maker. And as the maker speaks to him, well, all of the stickers that these silly wooden puppets have stuck to him, and they start to fall off. Uh, The voice of his maker sets him free. Well, just so. We are defined by the call of God. That's who we are. Are the stations and the distinctions of men just don't matter. And so we're free. And this is why it's so unhelpful to teach a doctrine of vocation from this paragraph. Because I think it entirely turns Paul's point on its heads. Paul is not saying that you should stay in your job because God's calling Um, that God has called you to it. And this is the vocation that God has specifically given you, and so you should stick to it. He's saying that you should probably stay in your job because God's calling means that which job you do just doesn't matter. If you want to change, change. But not because you think that that's the only thing that God would have you do. The only thing God would have you do is to be a Christian. 
that's what God has called you to, to belong to Jesus and to keep his commandments. And everything else is secondary. And here's the commentator, David Garland. Whether a Christian is circumcised or uncircumcised, slave or free, married or single, is inconsequential to God. One condition is not bad and the other good, nor is one condition less good and the other better. No condition presents an obstacle to living the Christian life, since a Christian is now defined by God's call and nothing else. Change of social status is not a precondition of the call, nor is change a natural consequence of the call. A Christian does not have to seek the right situation in order to enjoy Christian fellowship or to serve God's call effectively. And I think that's very helpful. Of course, Paul's point in all of this is actually about marriage. And the particular social relationship that Paul has in view in this chapter is the marriage relationship. And we'll come next week and to see how all of this cashes out. But for now, here is Paul's very helpful word to my student friends. Well, brother, you're right. You have been called, and that changes everything. But you didn't have to stop studying to receive the call. You don't have to stop studying to obey it. And studies will not get in the way of keeping the commandments of God. So until you've got something better to do, until you've got something better to do, remain as you are. And I think that would have saved me and, and him and everyone else a lot of heartache. If only I'd thought about this passage. Let's pray. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for this extraordinary truth that you have called us into the fellowship of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you for the power of your voice and how you have summoned us to be saints, to be set aside, to belong to Jesus, to shame the distinctions of the world and to show your wisdom and your power. And we pray, our Father, this morning that we would be defined by your call um, and not by the stations that people would assign to us. And we pray that that would liberate us and from the needs to be anxious about change. We pray that we'd be content. Um, and Father, we pray that you'd help us more and more um, to be those who are devoted to the Lord Jesus and to obey his commandments. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.